with our Bible series on Romans. And I believe that it has been a tremendous blessing for all. Do, do you agree with me? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than that scripture. Nothing better than the Word of God. Because the Word of God shapes our hearts, shapes our minds, uh, encourages us. And everything that the, this book says, um, it has been written for you. So, you know, you have what this book says you have. You are what this book says you are. And you are children of God. So today, I, I put a title to today's sermon. It's uh, a call for mutual acceptance. A call for mutual acceptance. I believe the Holy Spirit is using these last chapters of Romans to shape our, our character, to shape uh, our conduct, and to make us more and more like Jesus. If we should have only one goal in life, what would it be? What would it be? For me, seeing scripture, I believe that that goal should be to be more and more like Jesus. To try to imitate Jesus in everything I do, in everything I said, in, in my thinking, and everything. I believe that should be our goal. In doing so, we are certainly honoring our Lord. You know that Jesus calls us to follow his example in every area of our lives. And he calls us to be like him. And even on the cross, he showed, he showed us the most perfect representation of his heart and motives. We, we know that Jesus, that Jesus lived an unselfish, sacrificial, loving, and always giving life. Such a beautiful life. His life was the price he paid for, for our, our own lives. And on the cross, you know what he said? Probably he, he thought this, my life for yours. And that's the path that he wants us to follow. My life for yours. This uh, sacrificial kind of life. Me, as a husband, I need to realize that my wife comes first. My life for yours, Megan. My life for your, for your life, Zoe, my daughter. My life for you. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a secret yet. The baby, all right? Baby. <laughs> My life for yours. My life for your, for, for your life. So if we realize the importance of this, our lives will never be the same. This is what Paul is speaking about here. He's speaking about relationships. Um, how many of us, we have struggled with relationships, right? Come on, show hands. If you have a modern law, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Amen. Amen. Relationships, they're hard, but we need them, right? We can't live isolated from the world. We need to have relationships, healthy relationships. So Paul is speaking about relationships today here in Romans 14, and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to our hearts. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you help us today as we um, go through your word. I pray that you bless us today, Lord, that you will open our hearts and minds to your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will have your way here. Come and fill this place with your glory. Fill this place with your grace. Fill this place, fill this place with your hope. Lord, I'm praying for the hopeless right now. If there's someone here that is feeling hopeless, I pray that that person will receive the hope of Jesus Christ in this right moment. There's, there's always victory in the name of Jesus. There's victory in the name of Jesus. If there's someone here that is uh, ready to give up, 
This is what the Holy Spirit wants to tell you today. You will not give up. Because I'm with you. Stand your ground. I'm with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you help us today and that you will speak to our hearts and minds. And after this service, our lives will never be the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. My life for yours. This is the kind of lifestyle that we should embrace. Amen. Are you ready to embrace that, that kind of lifestyle? That is countercultural. That goes against the culture of this world. In this world, you know, we live in a, in a society where it seems like everything needs to spin around ourselves, you know. Uh, but here we see what, what, what God is, is telling us. He's saying, no, you are here to live also for others. You need to bless others. So today the call that we will listen from God is a call for mutual acceptance. Let's read verses 1 to 4 of Romans 14. It says, verse 1, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. For my vegan friends, that's probably your favorite Bible verse. <laughs> it's only vegetables, okay? Number three, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Acceptance. Such a beautiful and powerful word. This is the kind of word that illustrates our position before God at this very right moment. You have been accepted by God as, you, as, a, as His children, as His child. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, has washed away our sins. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Show hands. Who have been washed by the blood of Jesus? Even more, the blood of Jesus not only have washed away your sins, the blood of Jesus is also covering your lives and family. So you can be protected. It has the power of protection. It has the seal of God. Protects. Empowers. The book of Revelation says that it's through the blood of Jesus that we have, been, that we have defeated the enemy. The blood of Jesus. So all this is God's mercy. God's, God's showing us his love for us. Also we have been accepted as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know when my Canadian citizen, citizenship will arrive, but I know that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I don't need to do any kind of paperwork. Background check. Physical examination, whatever. I'm just a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you too. What a blessing and what a privilege. But sadly, sadly, this word... Acceptance is not the word that often represents the way we relate to others, especially to those who belong to God's family as well. In this passage that we just read, Paul shows us two types of Christians. Christians who are strong in their conscience and um, in uh, what they believe, and those who are not. This verse speaks about two different levels of spiritual maturity. Now, listen to me. In church, in church, there are people that... Uh, have a, you know, one kind of relationship with God and other people have other kind and we all relate to the same Father. Some, some, some people in church, they are more like uh, spiritually mature because maybe they have more years in, in, uh, in God 
Maybe because uh, they have a taste and see the Lord more, and maybe you are just new. But this is the thing. God loves us all the same. It is, not like, it, it is like if you are a, a parent and you have children of different ages, it is not like you love the newborn baby more than you love your teenager baby. Right? No, you, you love them all the same. That's what I will do with our baby and Zoe. We need, and God does, does, does the same. He, he loves us all the same. He, um, it, it is not like he has favorite sons or daughters. You know, when you pray, he listens to your prayer the same that he listens to my prayers. Or the pastor's prayers. There's no difference. We are just his children. So here we see Paul speaking about there are differences in the church. We are different, right? We are. We, 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 we have different ideas or opinions about different things or, or, or issues. But God loves us all the same. Actually, here Paul is addressing a specific dispute, probably over whether Christians need to abide by Jewish food, uh, food laws. And Paul clearly sides theologically with the strong, who did not feel compelled to follow this, those laws. But he encourages them not to despise or scandalize the weak. In other words, to not to not mock those who thinks different to you. Mm-hmm. Not judge and not mock. Now we need to understand and accept that although we share the same faith, we all believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes, amen. So you are in the right place. All right? This is the right church for you. <laughs> we all believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We all believe that He came to this world to save the world. We all believe that He lived a, sin, a sinless life, 100% holy, holy, holy. We also believe that He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And we also believe that He was risen from the death at the third day. Ten days after, He uh, ascended to heaven, and now He's sitting at the right side of God the Father, praying, interceding for you. That's our confession of faith. Amen? Do you agree with that confession of faith? That's our Jesus. The same Jesus that also sent to us the promise, the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And it's also the seal. The seal of our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life of victory. And it's the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit we can overcome temptations and, 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 and sin. And we can... Uh, grow in our Christian life. And we also believe in the church. We believe that we need to be part of, of, a, of, of a body. And that's why you have be, been chosen by God. God has decided to put you here with us. You know, one church. One body. So here we see Paul speaking about different kind of Christians or, or Christians that think different in you know, other topics. Like for example, what to eat, what not to eat. It says that some of them decided to just eat vegetables. Too bad for them. <laughs> um, others, they decided to eat anything. And, and uh, in the following verses, we will see that they, they have also other um, kind of differences. This is the problem that the church in Rome was having. The strong were scandalizing and mocking the weak. For the part, the weak were judging their own brothers by calling them liberals for eating any kind of food. 
both. Mockery and condemnation are two types of judgments that we human beings usually use for those who, be, who behave in a way that doesn't match with our convictions and ideas. Now, what we need to do with that, we need to stop judging others. And we need to stop uh, mockering others who maybe think different than, than us. That's what Paul is saying here. You need to stop. It's a, it's a hard message. Maybe that's why a lot of, half the congregation is missing today. <laughs> they were like, okay, what, what is coming next? Romans 14. No, no, I'll stay home. <laughs> Actually, the word adversary is a military term used to designate a person as a target that needs to be destroyed. In this sense, the adversary is a threat that needs to be eradicated. For Christians, our only adversary and enemy is Satan. Satan and sin, they are our adversaries and enemies. People are not your enemy. Your brothers and sisters in faith, even if they believe different than you, even if they like different things, even, even if they have another idea of, of how church should be, they are not your enemies. They are not your enemies. You know that when we see each other as enemies or adversaries, you know what that provokes? Division. And that's enemy number one of the church. When we see each other as adversaries, because we are like, well, I don't know, he thinks different than me, I don't like him, I don't like the way he thinks about this and that, then he's my adversary. You know what happens when you see someone as your adversary? You will reject that person and you will try to avoid that person. So if that person is coming to church and is using that door, you will use that door because you don't want to have anything to do with that person. Not even say hi. And that is just wrong, sinful. It's just a danger for the unity of the body. And this could happen also in your marriage or my marriage. That's why when, when you see... You know, divorces. Why divorces happen? Well, because the couple decided to see each other as adversaries. Why we are seeing this huge disintegration of families here in Canada? Because we are seeing each other as adversaries. We try to defend, you know, our thinking. We try to defend our values. We try to defend our ideas. And that's all right. But there's a point where you have to think, is that worth it? You know, to fight over the food, for example. No, I like the food of my mom. Me gusta la comida de mamá. Right over my wife's food. You know? And that would create it, man. That's world world tree right there. <laughs> to not ever compare the food of your mom to your wife, okay? Ever. Yes. <laughs> but that happens. And maybe that's silly, right? But that can create a what? A fight. And, when, and whenever there's a fight, there are two adversaries. The only adversary you have is Satan. It's sin. The person you should reject and avoid at all costs is Satan. And sin. If we start seeing sin as our adversary and enemy, it will be easier to get out of temptation. We will reject the temptation. We will avoid the temptation because it's our adversary and we will overcome and we will win this war. 
So here Paul is saying, stop seeing each other as adversaries. Actually, the Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The interesting thing is that we tend to reject and turn away from whoever we consider, we consider our adversary. When we stop seeing others as uh, brothers and begin to see them as enemies, we are opening the door to division. And we need to stop doing that. Now the question is, what do we do with those who, who we find hard to love? You know that, uh, it's, oh God, it's hard to love this guy. What do I do? It's my brother. It's my co-worker. It's my boss. What do I do? Verse 1 says, or commands us, to not reject them, to not ignore them, to not treat them in a second class way. We need to accept one another, but not for the purpose of arguing or debating over secondary issues or for having, you know, for being right. There's a point in life where you will have to decide. There's two kinds of lives. The life that you pick where, where you want to be right all the time. And the life where you pick love over, you know, being right all the time. If, if I try to be right all the time with my wife, my marriage will be a disaster. Alright? If I try to impose my thinking on her, my marriage will be a disaster. I need to realize more important than that is love. The same happened with church. I don't like the way chairs are. Okay, I don't like the well, I would I would just change it. And then someone can no, I don't like that way. And then there's a discussion or a fight. One one of those will have to okay, this is not worth it. <laughs> First comes love. Love. You know, here in Canada you guys you have a, a great expression, agree to disagree. First time I heard it here in Canada. I never heard that in Spanish. <laughs> We need to do that. We need to put love first. So today, in today's sermon, and, and if you have your bulletin with you, today I just prepared a short sermon, but you are going to bring homework. All right? Homework. Because you know what? You need to feed yourself. Yeah, I said it. You need to feed, fed, your, feed, thank you, feed yourself. You need to start having your devotionals. You need to open the Bible during the week. You need to pray during the week. The first thing that you should do in the morning is prayer. The last thing you should do in your day is prayer. Because everything holds, you know, we, everything, everything. We, we depend on God on everything. So I included in, in today's bulletin a couple of uh, uh, listening prayers. The first one is this. Lord, and you will see it here on the screen. Lord. Am I seeing someone as my enemy in this right moment? This is really personal. That, that's why I'm not doing this right now. All right? But you take this home. And in prayer, ask the Lord. Lord, am I seeing someone as my enemy in this right moment? Maybe my spouse, my children, my parents, my coworkers, my boss, or maybe my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Please forgive me and help me, Lord, to accept people the way they are. That's hard. That's why we need the... The help of the Lord. 
Help me to have right judgment and to be a loving, caring, and respectful person. Often I think of myself, okay, what do people are thinking about me? And I, 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 I don't use that, that question to, well, you know, from my ego, right? Well, if they like me, they don't like me. But often I, I use that question to see if I'm walking in love or not. If I'm, a, if I'm someone that respects other people. If, if I care for, for others or not. So how the people are seeing you? In verse 3, Paul, Paul also points out two dangers that we should avoid. Number one, to treat, other, uh, to treat others with contempt. And number two, to judge and condemn others. And both are wrong. Another listening exercise that I want to share with you today is this. How am I treating those who are around me? How are you? How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your children? How are you treating your coworkers or your employees or your boss? How are you treating your brothers and sisters in Christ here in church? Finally, verse 4 is not only an exhortation, but also a promise that we can claim. Don't you love the Bible? That God always, you know, well, sometimes he has like a, a fragment or a portion of the scripture that is, seems like to be an exhortation, you know, like you're doing something wrong. You need to stop. But he always, always includes a promise. Love that about God. And in verse 4, we read this. Let's read again verse 4. It says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servant stand or fall. And look at the faith and the promise that God put uh, in the heart of Apostle Paul here. Says Paul, And they will, like, uh, you know, I'm sure they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Verse 4, is, we find this promise there. It says that you and I are going to stay firm. We will stand. And we are not going to fall. God's promise that you will stand. Not because of your knowledge or expertise or because of your, I don't know, experience or good efforts, whatever. It, we will stand because God is with us. You will stand because of your faith in whom is able to make you stand. No one has the power or authority to make you fall. No one. No one has the power or authority to make you fall. That's why we need to stand our ground. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. There are some Christians that are like afraid of what, what people are speaking about themselves. And they feel like, well, they're cursing me and they're saying this about me or whatever. No one has authority over you, only Jesus Christ. It is like if my neighbor will try to say something to my daughter, he has no authority over my daughter. I have authority over my daughter because she's my daughter. And I protect her. I know that the same happened with my God in heaven. He has authority over my life, so no one can touch me, and no one can touch you because you are protected by the blood of Jesus. There's a covenant over you, there's the blood of Jesus. This is a promise, an amazing promise. You will not fall. There are some Christians that are like, well, I don't know if I will fall or I will stand. It's hard for me. And they see their performance. You know, they're judging their stand before God based on their performance. That's just not right. It's a relationship with God. He's your father. He loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He protects you. 
Oh, all the time. So, stand your ground. He's at your side. In verses 5 to 9, we see Paul speaking to us about living and dying for the Lord. When, when was the last time that you uh, took a moment to think about death? I know that we often take that moment when we, when we are in a funeral. So it's you know, the perfect time to think about death, how short is life. But here Paul is saying something boldly. We need to be ready to live for God and even to die for God. Hmm. Wow, that takes you out of your comfort zone right there. <laughs> you remember what happened in Texas a, a month ago? Right? In a church or service like this, they open doors and every, everybody's dead. Straight to heaven. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. And I'm not bringing fear here. I'm just saying, am I living my life for the Lord like 100%? Because that's living 100%. You know, I grew up with those uh, old tribulation movies. How many of you remember those? Eh? Yeah, right? <laughs> those, those. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't remember the names now. But the Mark of the Beast. What's that? Ah, oh, The Thief in the Night. Remember those? I even gave my life to the Lord because of one of those movies. So, thank you for Christian... Films <laughs> back in the days, right? But uh, I remember seeing those movies, and in, you know, when when they portrayed the the tribulation, you know, people being like um, threat of dying if they if they didn't deny Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that always shocked me. You know, seeing those Christians when I was a kid. Now I'm at thirty four. And I'm seeing Christians doing the same thing in other countries. Giving their lives literally for, for God. Verse 5 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. That's why we are Chantinians. We eat meat. We are, you know, <laughs> we do it for the Lord. Uh, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die... We belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned into life so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. In this passage, Paul continues to show the believers in Rome that their disputes on secondary issues, such as what to eat and what not to eat, as well on the days in which they should get together to worship, they were simply not worth it. Not worth it, the fight. They were just... They, they, they were being called to keep, above all, the unity of the Spirit and the love of God in their hearts. Unity and love. Like then, we Christians often fight over small things, right? Over small things. Like for years, you, Pastor Roy, have shared this. Churches fighting over if we, would, we will use a drum set or not. Drums or not in church. What do you believe? Fighting for that. 
You know, I grew up in a Nazarene church where women have to, to use a, like a bale. And they were fighting over years if, uh, you know, women were allowed to, to go to church without the bale or with the bale. You know, in some other churches, women were not allowed to use makeup. Yeah, right? That's why I grew up in one of those churches. And I was like, I will never, I'm never getting married to one of these girls. <laughs> I want a girl from other church. <laughs> yeah, fighting over small things. Well, in marriage, happens the same, right? How often we fight over small things? You know, pancakes or eggs? I don't know, small things. Here we see the church having this same problem. Now, the question is, what's our problem? I believe our problem is that we are always, listen to me, we are always trying to change people. That's our problem. Nuestro problema es que a menudo tratamos de cambiar a la gente. We want people to change. We want them to, to be like us. We want them to act like we think they, they, they should act. To choose what we, what we believe is the best for them. That's what these believers were trying to do to each other. And just like them, we often see ourselves playing this dangerous sport. The truth is that we can't and we will never be able to change people. You know who has the power and authority to change people's heart? God. Jesus alone. That's why he also has the power and authority to judge them. You know why you don't have the power and authority to judge others' people? Because you don't have the power to change them before. Jesus has the power to change people. That's why he has the power and authority to judge people. That's why he's calling people to come to him. Because he wants to change people's lives. That's his business. He's into this business of changing people's lives. And that's what we do as a church. We don't want you to come here just to, to, to listen some, to some music and go with a word in your heart. We want, we want your life to be changed by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. That's what we want. We want you to experience God in a way you never experienced God. We want you to feel His presence in this place. And we want you to know that there is hope in Christ Jesus. In these verses, we see the weak Christians trying to convince the strong again. Strong Christians. That the most important day of worship was still the Sabbath. And because of that, they believed they were still obligated to observe it. Now, on a side note, here we see Paul shedding some light on the issue if the Sabbath or the Saturday still binds us as Christians or not. On this topic, Paul explains that the Sabbath is no longer a binding commitment for the believer, but a matter of one's personal conviction. Unlike the other nine commandments in Exodus 20, the Sabbath or the Saturday, it's just part of the ceremonial laws of the old covenant, and now we are under the new covenant. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath. We gather together on Sundays to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. That's what the church have been doing for years, since the very beginning. On the other hand, in verse 6, we see Paul writing there and says, verse 6 says, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. That's the important part of the verse. They give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. We see that the most important thing of our, in our Christian life should be to live a life that honors the Lord and to give thanks to Him. Honor the Lord 
and give thanks to him. John Wesley used to say that the most relevant characteristic of a mature Christian. Now, if you think of a mature Christian, what, what kind of image you have? What it is a mature Christian? Someone who wears a tie? Hmm? What do you think? What are the signs of a mature Christians? Christian? John Wesley, the revivalist, he used to say that there are four signs. Number one, his faith. You will never hear a mature Christian speaking doubt or fear or being refrained of doing something because he's just not sure. Faith. Number two, his love. He shows the love of, uh, the, the, the love of God to everyone. Number three, his life of prayer. And number four, his spirit of thanksgiving. So I wrote a, over there another uh, listening prayer exercise for you, for your, for your homework this week. It says, Dear Jesus, what am I doing to honor you? What are my reasons to be thankful? And I invite you to make a short gratitude list. Just, you know, write down a couple of things why you're thankful. Really thankful. Verses 10 to 12, we are getting to the end of the sermon. It says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge me. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God in the future. And right now too. That's why you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You need to give account to God of everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, or you not do. Um, I need to do the same. We learn here that we are not to pass judgment on one another or look down on, on our brothers since only the Lord Jesus has the right to change us and judge us. As I said before, the Lord alone has the right to judge us because he has been involved in both death and and life, verse 9 speaks about that. And the Holy Spirit is commanding us to stop trying to take Jesus' place. He's calling us to stop playing God to one another. Don't you realize that? That's just a dangerous sport, you know, trying to play God on other brothers and sisters. We are not here to judge people. We are here to love people. Embrace them with the love of God. Teach them the way that God wants them to, to walk in life. But we need to stop judging others or mocking others. Both things are wrong. We need to realize that one day we all be standing before God's judgment seat and we will have to give accounts to Christ for every word we said and even every thought we had about other people, about the church, about leaders, about everything. One day, you know that Jesus knows your, your thoughts? He knows your, every word that, that comes out of your, of, of your mouth. And the Bible says that we will have to give accounts, account before him in that great day when he comes back. So this is my, my prayer. Dear Jesus, please forgive me for having wanted to take your place. Help me not to judge or despise any of my brothers in the common faith. And I'm, I'm, and I'm sure that we will make a great use of this prayer this week. We need it. We need to be honest before the Lord.
Finally, verses 13 to 19 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be uh, spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In verse 13, we see Paul asking the Romans believers to stop judging each other. He reminds them for the last time what they should not do. And then he encourages them and invites them to, to act in a completely different way. And here are some of the practical steps that this passage shows to us today. Number one, the first step is make up your mind. Make up your mind. In other words, make the effort of pursuing correct thinking that will lead you to correct decisions. What we need to do is, is we, we need to let the Bible shape the way we think. More, we need more God's, we need the, the Word of God to abide in our minds and our hearts. We need to open Scripture and meditate on Scripture. You know, there's this whole new age thing going on where you take a moment to just bow down and um, right, in silence, and think that I'm a butterfly, a beautiful Hispanic butterfly. <laughs> right? Meditate. You know who knows what it is to meditate? We Christians. The Bible speaks about that. It says, meditate on the book of the law day and night. All day, all the time, open your phone and open your Bible app and read it. Read it. Stop posting pictures on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and I don't know how many social media. They will, they will continue creating. In my time, it was just MySpace. Right? <laughs> and uh, Messenger, Microsoft Messenger. Yeah, really old. <laughs> Stop. Meditate on the Word of God. Open your Bible. Take a pencil and write and write and write and write. Every promise that the Holy Spirit is giving you through, through His Word. And then share that promise with your husband or with your wife. You know, honey, what, you know what I have for you? Whoa. A box of chocolates? No. A box full of God's Bible promises for you. There you go. That's better. We need the Word of God to shape our thinking. Make up your mind. Step two, act in love. Remember, I talked to you about, at the beginning of the sermon, about being always right or deciding to always love, right? Even if that will cause me to stop being, or to stop, you know, being right. To acknowledge that the other person is also right. And I decide to act in love. Act in love. Show God's love. Sac you know, do a sacrifice for someone. What about that? Do a sacrifice for someone. 
Someone wants to come to church, but they can't because they don't have a mobility or a car, and you have a car. Okay, ask, okay, can I pick you up? We can come to church. You know, now comes the times, the holidays, right? The, the, the times to give. Okay, do not only give to those who you love, give to even strangers. Show God's love to everyone. That's what Jesus did. Look, Jesus died on the cross, and he came to this earth not for his own people, but for everyone. Number three, show the principles of the kingdom of God through your behavior. And I love that Bible verse. We all know that Bible verse. The kingdom of God is, is not a matter of drinking or eating, but of righteousness, peace, and what else? Joy in the spirit. And we believe that those are like abstract theological principles. Actually, not. If you read the next verse, verse 19 says, verse 18 I'm sorry, it says, because anyone who serves Christ in this way. What way? The verse before. With peace in your heart. With justice, seeking justice. And with joy. If you serve Christ with joy, if you serve Christ with peace in your heart, if you serve Christ with justice in your heart, then the Bible says, in verse 18, that your service to God will be pleasing to Him and we, you will even receive human approval. That's good. God wants to help your self-esteem. He, he wants to help you out with that. But we need to follow these principles. They are just practical. So we need to show the principle of the kingdom of God through, through our behavior. We need to show the, the joy in the Spirit. How are you, brother? Well, here I am. Holding. You have the Holy Spirit inside your life, man. And you are that just holding? And we can make a huge list of excuses of how hard our lives is. You have no idea what our life is. You live in Canada, for goodness sake. We just make excuses. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be your source of joy. I still remember last year when we received that word that this year will be a year of joy. And I still believe it. But the joy is only in the Holy Spirit. Also peace. Are you in peace with everyone? No, I'm not. I'm not in peace with my wife. I'm not in peace. You are a Christian. You have received the love of God. Now you are perfectly capable of loving anyone. And you have the power of, to forgive. This is the perfect time to forgive someone. I don't know if you came to this place and maybe you have a big, I don't know. A big wound inside your heart and you're like, I can't forgive that person. Well, this is the message that God wants to bring to you today. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. If you say that you cannot, then I'm a liar. Because the Bible says that we have received God's love. And you know what God's love is? Forgiveness. We all have experienced that. And finally, righteousness. Righteousness. 
Let's show God's justice to this world. Let's speak the truth, but in love. Let's be righteous with our children. Let's be righteous with our spouses. Finally, step number four, commit your life to serve Christ and others in a kingdom way. Service. Service. Jesus is calling us to be his selfless servants whose only purpose is to please God and edify others, people, people, lives acting in righteousness, peace, and joy. To be his servants. You know what Jesus spoke about when, uh, when uh, we go to heaven? Okay, He's, he says that we will be received by him, and he will look at us and he will say, Welcome, good and faithful servant. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I'm in the wrong place. I'm not a servant. <laughs> I like to be served. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Can I come in anyways? It's uh, <laughs> a tough one. I love you. You're my children. But we are here to serve. Our, our sole purpose in life is to serve God. That's our sole purpose in life, to serve God. When it comes the time of your funeral, of your fu funeral, that would be so good too. You know, won't you wish that you, you would be able to listen what people said about you, even if you are inside the coffin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And people saying, "I love that guy. He was so respectful. Wow, he was so kind. You know what? You know what was the sign or the most important characteristic of, of him for me?" Was his spirit of uh, service. We are here to serve. This is my prayer. Dear Jesus, please show me what are some unrighteous decisions that I've made lately. Is there someone with whom I am not having peace? What can I do to change this? It's not only praying here, but maybe the Holy Spirit wants to move you to do something about that. Maybe you are, I don't know, distant with a distant, with a relative. This is the time. And Lord, please show me how can I experience and share with others the joy of your spirit in a practical way. It's the time to show to the world the joy of the Lord. Joy. So, as a conclusion, today we, we have learned that we need to stop trying to change other people according to our ideas. We need to accept other people's views and opinions. We need to guard and defend the unity of the church, our marriage, and And, and our family. Unity. Wow, that's important. Unity. Unity. Second, we need to start living in a way that is honorable and pleasing to God. We need to treat others with love, kindness, and respect. We need to remember the great commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We need to stop judging others. We need to uh, stop being a, you know, a stumbling rock for other brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to stop doing things that will offend them or even make them feel uncomfortable. We need to think about them first and not about ourselves all the time. Finally, we need to give up a right when it, when it threatens the peace and hinders the growth of another individual. We need to be alert to judge in that area. We need to seek the kingdom of God first. It's justice, peace, and joy. So we have a lot of homework to do. But the good news is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you can do it. So let's take a moment to pray.
I invite the worship ministry to come to the altar. They're going to lead us in a, in a worship song. And we kind of have a moment to pray. I invite you to meditate on everything you heard today. The Holy Spirit probably has spoken to your heart. And, and Lord, I pray that uh, you will help us to listen to your voice. We want to meditate on your word today. Lord, we want to accept your calling to love each other, to edify each other. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart right now. Ask Him to, to show you in what areas He needs to work. You need to give Him permission. He wants to work in you, but you need to say, Yes, Lord, work in me. Yes. You know what is the what is the word to change? The word to change is surrender. That's the way. I need to surrender my life before the Lord and say, Yes, Lord, I surrender all to you. And then you will see God changing things. He will change the way you think about your husband or about your, about your wife. He will change the way you, you see your children. Something that uh, I love about Bible stories, it's uh, in the book of Kings, when the prophet Elijah was with his servant, and the servant couldn't see the, what was going on in the spiritual realm. And um, they were being attacked by the enemy. And at one point the servant was like, oh no, what are we going to do? There are so many. They are here. They're going to attack us and they're going to destroy us. What are we going to do? And then the prophet said, Just see. There are more with us. Just see. Kiesi, just see. See the armies of the Lord of hosts. They are all for you. You are not alone in this battle. And you know what happened? Victory. The enemy was blinded. They have to leave. And Yesi and Elijah and the whole people of Israel, they enjoy victory. As that old song says, victory is mine. Victory is yours. So I want to encourage you today. If there's a battle in your life right now, you're not alone. God has called you to be a tool in His hands of, to edify others other people's lives. God wants to use you as a tool to bring peace and joy to others. You will bring that today. The Lord is giving it to you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Let your word have a, a great impact in our hearts and shape our thinking and uh, and changes, Lord. I pray that today, Lord, when we when we leave this building, we will live with the joy of the Spirit in our hearts, and we will live with the peace of God in our minds, and we will live, Lord, to walk, to go to this life and walk in righteousness, love, and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, that you trust in Him, so so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy it. And let's put into practice what we, what we learned today from God. Amen.